Get open to Acts chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 28. And uh, if you'll recall the, the map, I was wanting to get it loaded up for us today, uh, of Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, we're coming to kind of the second half of his first missionary journey, which is just very quickly mentioned that he doubled back and went back through the towns that he had already uh, ministered in and evangelized and made disciples and churches are planted. And uh, so he's just doubling back very quick. It's just a matter of about, you know, nine verses that uh, anything's mentioned here uh, before he's back to the home base of Antioch. And so... Uh, in this, uh, he has a great word of exhortation or encouragement to the Christians there. And it, it caused me to title today's message, The Road Marked with Suffering. Kind of taken from that good Matt Redman song, you know, 10,000 Reasons. You know, uh, the, or I'd rather be blessed be your name. Uh, the Road Marked with Suffering. When there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And uh, so let's, let's get into the text, and let's just see what the Lord would minister to us today and for us. In, uh, in verse 21 of Acts 14, And when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when you look at the map, the, the most straightway uh, route back home would be to just continue heading southeast, uh, and yet they doubled back, and not only did they double back, they went back to difficult places. They went back to places where uh, there was persecution, they were, were rejected. A whole city would be in an uproar against the gospel, uh, you know, while they tried to worship them. Uh, you know, if you remember last week's messages, as uh, they, they thought they were gods, uh, these cities thought Paul and uh, Barnabas were gods. Uh, they tried to worship them, and, and then went from worship to stoning them, to where uh, Paul was even considered dead, or thought to be dead, and was drugged out of the city, thought to be dead, until he was either risen from the dead, or just kind of snapped out of it. You know, So these are tough places. Why would they go back to such tough places? And, and one little note I have in my notes is just very simply... There were believers there. Uh, there were believers there. And what occupied their time as they went back through the region of Galatia? Uh, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. Many Christians need to be strengthened in their souls. And really in my heart today is pray that you would be strengthened in your souls, what the scripture calls the inner man. You know, many need exhorting. And, and especially this great phrase here, to continue in the faith. Exhorted to continue in the faith. So how are their souls strengthened? You might just know this word exhort. Exhort is a spiritual gift in the book of 1 Corinthians. Exhortation. And it means to invite and call people together to encourage and to comfort them. So that's kind of what's happening here today, isn't it? We, we were all called together. There was announcements and posts. And here we are, guys. We're all together for, for encouragement and for comfort. Uh, there's something even with a little more strength to it in the word exhort, though. And it has this connotation of prodding 
and goading and spurring on. Now we as such an agricultural community can appreciate that, right? You know, uh, you know, just had our first season of 4-H and we had a couple of steers, you know, and it's like, hey, you got this nice show stick with a good old hook and a good old pokey end, you know, there's sometimes it's poke, 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 you know, it gets those giant animals that are, you know, a thousand pounds, uh, I guess it would be more like 1,300 pounds heavier than the little girl that's dragging it around, you know, and that little stick exhorts the steer to obey, you know, or those of us, you know, that are out with the cattle and moving with horses, and, you know, you have those spurs that aren't designed to punish the animal, but just to get their attention and get them moving in the direction uh, that they're going, and so there's this prodding in this exhortation here, this encouragement, and the first thing out of two exhortations is, first of all, that they would continue in the faith. All right? And maybe you'll underline that, that they would continue in the faith. Go back to Acts chapter 11, verse 23. It was probably a month ago that we were there teaching through this. Uh, it was the same message that the Lord put on my heart when I spoke at Calvary Chapel Corvallis about a month ago. Um, and it's such a powerful passage that uh, when he had came and seen the grace of God, this is Barnabas, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. So Barnabas in Acts 11, he's, what's his name mean? Son of encouragement. So he's encouraging, you know, it's that taking courage to continue of the Lord and to do it purposefully. And, uh, and now we have in chapter 14, Paul, uh, a little stronger, exhorting, all right, exhorting with the goad, uh, that they also would continue in the faith. And uh, in this passage, it's interesting, as I just really have this passage on my heart and, and what follows here, uh, a lot of commentaries that I read this week kind of breeze through this passage, and they're like, let's get to chapter 15, you know? And uh, just as I'm reading and studying, even praying about if this kind of was the direction for today, uh, came across an old paperback uh, commentary, hardback commentary, paper version. You know, I don't use much paper anymore. It's a lot of Kindle. <laughs> of uh, John Calvin's second volume of the book of Acts. And it begins at chapter 14, this volume two. And so I think I have four quotes from Calvin in this section today. Here's the first one. This was the principal method of confirmation. Using exhortation to encourage the disciples who had already embraced and professed the gospel to continue. For we are far from being ready and active as we ought to be in doing our duty. For that reason, our sloth needs goads and our coldness needs to be warmed up. And so here we go, you guys. It's fall. It's a new season for many of us. Soccer started for us. Uh, this last, it's been two weeks now of soccer, and I'll tell you what, to go from no soccer in a summertime with no soccer to uh, every child in our home playing soccer. So we have four children, and, uh, and I coach two of those teams, and I'll just tell you, life goes crazy, you know? It's just a new, I mean, fair was crazy, 4-H was crazy, you know? Um, there's always crazy seasons, right? And now we move into the fall, and it's just a shift of years. Kids are back in school. Kids are in athletics. There's all kinds of clubs going on. There's all kinds of lessons going on. There's just everything, and we need a fresh exhortation to continue. Chapter 11, we got it from Barnabas in a nice, 
easygoing encouragement. Chapter 14, we get it from Paul. It's still nice, but it's got a little bit of come on. Right? Let's do this. Let's continue in the faith. If there's already coldness in your fall, friends, time today to let the Holy Spirit warm us up. That with purpose of heart, we would continue with the Lord. There's wonderful promises for us as Christians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 speaks of what Jesus did in the body of his flesh through death so that he would present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, doesn't that sound good? Those of us that know we're sinners and the things that we've been saved out of, it sounds so wonderful that what Jesus did in his body for us brings us to a place of presenting us before the Father as holy people, without sin, without even blame upon us, and no reason to even look at us with with uncertainty. We're above reproach uh, because of what Jesus did. But then there's this great clause here, an if clause in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. And so I think it was actually Calvin that says that all of the blessings and the things that God has done for us remain no benefit to us if we remain outside of the faith. So we need to be in the faith, and we need to continue in the faith for these holy things, blameless things, above reproach things to be uh, continually, continually placed in our account. And so when we talk about becoming Christians, it's not uh, believe today, it's start believing today. Begin this walk of faith today, because you're going to need this faith tomorrow. You need to walk in this faith the next day. We continue in the faith. How are we doing with Jesus today? And in this exhortation, Paul informs these new disciples that the Christian life is not without trials. And so he exhorts them to continue in the faith, and, and we've Pressed into that the last few weeks in the book of Acts. But now today on my heart is the second part of the exhortation that we must, through many trials, enter the kingdom of God. So many people think that when they become Christian that they've entered into a life of rainbows and lollipops and unicorns and kittens, right? Um... But that's really not the life of a Christian on this side of eternity. I'm pretty confident though that on the other side of eternity, there's maybe some lollipops, you guys. So many lollipops. Okay. Um, you don't like lollipops. That's a whole other issue. But, alright. Uh, but on this side, you know, people wonder what they're doing wrong as Christians if they're suffering. And, a great mark of Christian discipleship and theology is understanding God's sovereign work in our lives through suffering. <coughs> Philippians chapter 1, before we go there, can we just look at this exhortation again? So it's Acts chapter 14, and it's in verse 22, and it's that last phrase. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I don't, I don't know if you got it. I don't know if I got it. <laughs> One more time. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. If you'll bear with me today, I'm going to essentially spray you with scriptures that, that tie into this, that are going to provide both the truth of suffering in the Christian's life, but also the hope that's in front of us as well. You might know the hope here that it's Entering the 
kingdom of God will happen. Uh, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. We will enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a kingdom of heaven. There's the golden lining in the verse for us. I'm not here today to just preach suffering. Uh, but there's a kingdom of heaven that awaits us as well. And so there's a hope that the apostles will continue to point us to as we're studying a theology on suffering. And so let's look at some of those. We'll especially see them in kind of the latter half of the verses I go through. But the first verse, though, is Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so we love the first half of the verse, don't we? Oh, it's been appointed to me. To believe in his name, God is sovereign in his sovereignty, in his election, in his predestination. These are all true biblical things. He thought of me before he knew me, before I knew him, and he appointed me to eternal life, to believe. That's wonderful. Let's just finish up there today, shall we? But there's this part B as well, right? It's also been appointed to us that we would suffer... For his sake. So that we would suffer for his sake. Um, suffering is part of the Christian life. Uh, J. Howard Marshall said that these missionaries were able to encourage the young believers to continue in their belief and not fall back into Judaism or paganism. And then he just had this great sentence. And to give them realistic warnings based on experience that the way to the kingdom of God is not an easy one. So there is the kingdom is there. The kingdom, we await it. We eagerly hope for it. We crane our necks for the revelation of it. We can't wait for it. But it's also true that the way to that kingdom is not an easy one. It's been appointed to us that we would suffer, and you might underline in your Bible, for his namesake. And that brings us to kind of one of the first aspects of our suffering, and that will be a tribulation that comes by persecution. Tribulation by persecution. We suffer for his namesake. When we go out there in his name and his authority and his power and his message, we open up our mouths, we tell people about Jesus, we live for Jesus, our convictions are Jesus-centered convictions, we say no to things that aren't of him, we say yes to things that are of him, and the world doesn't like it, and we will begin to suffer persecution, we will suffer for his name's sake. This is my second quote here from Calvin where he says, because God wants his people to be disciplined through various struggles. Paul and Barnabas warned the disciples to be prepared to endure tribulations. It is a very necessary warning that if we are to live devoted and holy lives, we have to engage in warfare in this world. If the flesh would cause us no trouble, if Satan would not scheme against us, if the wicked would not confuse us with stumbling blocks, Perseverance would not be so irksome, since it would be a pleasant walk along an easy and delightful road. But it is because innumerable provocations arise on every side and at every single moment and tempt us to give up that difficulty springs up, and that is why the power of perseverance is so rare. Therefore, in order to persist right to the end, 
we must prepare for warfare. So twice in that quote, Calvin speaks of warfare. When we're persecuted through tribulation, uh, tribulate, what, that's kind of backwards. When we see our tribulation through persecution, I should say, we have to recognize that it's part of warfare. It's warfare that the apostle would encourage us toward. And uh, in 2 Timothy 3.10, it's an interesting passage because Paul writes to Timothy, who was from the city of Lystra. And he was raised a Christian with his mother and his grandmother. And he was well aware of the sufferings that Paul went through in his first missionary journey. He was living in Lystra. He knew of the sufferings. He knew of the persecution. And it's interesting to have this last letter of Timothy's life, or of Paul's life to Timothy, that Paul references some of the sufferings that he went through there. In 2 Timothy 3.10, he's telling Timothy, but you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, all these things. Timothy just was a total disciple and, and followed after his mentor. And then verse 11 tells us also something he followed after. Persecutions, afflictions, the afflictions that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, do those city names sound familiar to us, going through chapters 13 and 14, uh, where he says, these persecutions I endured, and out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and then there's this incredible phrase that goes right in with Acts 14, 22, goes right in there with Philippians 1, 26, here it is, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And don't we try to get out of that? Don't we just, whatever I can do to just not make waves at Thanksgiving dinner and talk about you, you know, whatever I can do to not make waves in the conference room at work, you know, or among those friends on the team, just, just don't talk about anything that has to do with Jesus or that, you know, physical morality matters or, you know, like just don't, don't, uh, uh, and, and, and Jesus, Paul, Timothy knows it. They all know it. That, hey, if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you just got to know right now. Just got to gird up your loins and realize you'll suffer persecution. So get ready for it. Uh, one time I was going through something kind of difficult uh, in the church and, and uh, Joe Papanot, I was on the phone and I was like, I'm sorry, like, I got something tough going on. There's some, some hard things and hard conversations. And Joe, if you know Joe, he just goes, well, you know, put in your mouth guard and get ready for it, you know, because it's coming. You know, the Lord's going to totally protect you through it, be there within it. But, you know, and I just I always remember that, like, well, okay. You know, you know, and uh, a lot of times that's just it. We got to. If we're going to desire to live godly for Jesus and be a light in this world, guys, no unicorns, no kittens. It's not what it's about. Right? We're going to suffer the persecution. First uh, Peter 4, 12. Here comes the spray of the verses, you guys. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. I love Brian Regan, the comedian. You know, He talks about when you're in an airport and they have those moving sidewalks, you know? And people are just like, you know, cruising along on them, and then you reach the end of that sidewalk, and it's like, no one's ready for that. You know, it's like, you know, and he does this great little twirl, and they're like, something changed. You know, and it's like, 
hey, why did we act surprised when the moving sidewalk is? It's like, this thing probably won't go on for the rest of your life, you know? And why do we think it's strange when as Christians living for Jesus, we're going to go through persecution? And you get that first, and you're just like, that's odd. I thought everyone would want this message, you know? And Peter tells us, don't think it's strange. It's coming, okay? As if some strange thing happens to you. Verse 13, but rejoice when you go through it. To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory of God rests on you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And so Peter tells us something. So a couple of golden linings to this suffering message today, guys. Number one, there's a kingdom that awaits us. We must, through many trials, enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a kingdom that awaits us. There's a golden lining there. The second golden lining is, is that when we go through suffering, we have someone to trust in. Okay, the whole of Christian life is trusting in the Lord, resting in the Lord, believing in the Lord, continually affirming our trust in Him, vocalizing it. Yes and amen, your ways are right. I trust you. I trust you in the in the battle. I trust you in the storm. Old Testament through New Testament, you guys. There's nothing that the old old timers went through, nothing that the newer timers would have gone through that if they would have just trusted in the Lord, kept their eyes fixed on him, said yes and amen to everything that the Lord called them to. He was with them through the midst of it. He lead them through it. He's always faithful. And to those who suffer, Peter says, they can commit their souls to him in doing good. Listen to this. As to a faithful creator. Like when we're going through it, and no doubt, I just think of all the people in this room, and I mean, everyone has probably 30 different major things going on in their lives that are just rough and cause stress and anxiety and cause them to swim in their bed at night. You know, everyone can eat anxious bread and, and sweat on their brow and, and fear and anxiety, just all of these things. Are just, I mean, if you take everybody's together, it's just like this giant kaleidoscope of suffering happening, right? And yet, if all of us were to go back and remember who our God is, and that he, with great intentionality, created us to know him and love him and be in relationship with him, and that he'll never leave us or forsake us, what a wonderful thing that we can do in suffering is to trust the one who, he's just so faithful, he created the whole universe, and he knows me by name, and he won't forsake me. There's golden lining in that, friends. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus says that brother's going to deliver a brother to death, and a father's child and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. This is what the life of a Christian has for you, essentially. You'll be hated for by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You jump down in Matthew 10, 24. A disciple's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? What Jesus is saying is, do you remember how they treated me? And you call yourself my followers, my disciples? I got news for you. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, what are they going to call the, the people that are of his household? They're going to think of you as demons. The time is coming that people who kill you will think that they offer God a service. These are the, the encouragements 
from Jesus. But Jesus also says in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And here's a golden lining for you. Encouragement in the midst of the persecution suffering. He who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. At the Council of Nicaea, it was an incredibly important church meeting in the 4th century. Of the 318 delegates who attended this council, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. 4th century, 318 Christian delegates for a church council, less than 12 weren't losing an eye, missing a hand, or limping because of torture. What's that tell you about the Christian life in this world, friends? We prepare ourselves for suffering. God, Jesus prepared Saul for suffering, Paul for suffering. Remember right when he got saved in Acts 19? He says, I showed him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Welcome to the family, is what Jesus told Paul. Okay, you guys, that's persecution encouragement. It will happen. We want to live godly for Christ Jesus. We will suffer persecution. And next, I want to look at general tribulation that may not be persecution-oriented, but just comes because of the afflictions of this world and living in a fallen world, the distresses that are upon us. As, uh, as you read Acts 14.22, it seems that kind of the general tone of what Paul is saying is uh, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And he knew the suffering of persecution there in Lister Iconium. But there's also just the biblical truth that we will go through suffering in our way to the kingdom of God. It's a road mark with suffering, non-persecution related, just suffering and anguish. And Calvin said in another quote that Luke does not only have in mind here, apart from that, Luke does not only have in mind here persecutions, which the enemy brings up uh, upon us with drawn swords and flaming fires, but under tribulation he includes all the troubles to which the lives of the godly are liable. Not because believers alone are miserable, but because this is the common condition of the good and the bad. And from that arises the celebrated proverb, the best thing is not to be born. The next, uh, the best thing is not to be born. The next best is surely to die as soon as possible. <laughs> Don't count them with a sense of humor. I never would have thought. Uh, but, uh, you know, just the truth is that everybody, a common condition in the world is the suffering. You live in this fallen World, And there's this great promise in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, it's that word that he uses in Acts 14.22. Tribulation, suffering, anguish, and separate us from the love of Christ. You ever go through suffering and you think that God's abandoned you and he doesn't love you? Or that your suffering is surely taking you to a place where you uh, would not be loved by him anymore? Is tribulation something that will separate you uh, by the love of Christ, or distress, or persecution, there's persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. And he says, I'm convinced of neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor uh, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, he says, And not only that, we glory in tribulation. We find tribulation, anguish, suffering to be a, something worth rejoicing in. Can you believe this? You might wonder what kind of weird cult you came into here today. You know, man, that guy really into weird suffering stuff, you know. I'm not into it. It's just a reality that we got to realize that this is this is part of the condition of being a human, and it's something that God actually turns and uses for our good and for His glory. And it's something that we can rejoice in, knowing something that tribulation produces perseverance. Every single one of us knows that in one way or another, as we go through hard and tough things, it only makes us stronger. I'm coaching soccer right now. Uh, and it's my second year doing UA, well, it's probably my fourth year doing UA boys, but I'm reintroduced to it with Titus this year. And these little guys, man, they're like, okay, guys, soccer is all about running, and so we're going to do some conditioning, and we're just going to do it. We only did half the field, you guys, I'm telling you, half the soccer field. We're going to go to the first little line, we're going to turn around and go back and touch the, the goal line. We're going to go to the second line, we're going to go back and touch the goal line. And then we're going to go all the way to the half field. We're going to go back and touch the goal line. It's probably the equivalent of maybe running the length of the field. I've got these two kids that are just like, full on, laying on the ground. I'm just like, all parents are watching. Yesterday at the game, was like, I'm gonna throw up blood! Just put you in! And so, and so the encouragement to kids, and then it goes all the way up to working out with Chris at the gym now, and I'm like, he's like, alright, dude, you gotta go all the way down into the well with your chest, you gotta bring it back up. And so, thanks for helping. You know, Spotting me, you know. And uh, it's the Christian life, guys. The more we pump, the more we push, the more suffering that comes our way, the more we learn to trust the Lord. And all these little sufferings that come along, and the bigger suffering comes when you trust the Lord in that. You learn that we get perseverance through the midst of suffering. Perseverance works something in us called character. Character brings hope, and hope doesn't disappoint, Romans 5 5 says. Because of the love that's been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. Yes, 2 Corinthians 1. Oh, such a word for us in suffering. Since my youth, 2 Corinthians 1 has been on my heart that, uh, that he does something in suffering where he prepares us to minister to others who are going to be suffering. And there's this great Phrase that's used over and over in Second Corinthians one: comfort, 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 comfort. Comfort is there, comfort so we comfort others. They have comfort. We were comforted, and he was comforted. And it's like, wait, I'm comfort on that, right? Or consolation is another word that speaks of comfort. And let's just see what it says here in Second Corinthians one. It just says that the Lord comforts us in all of our tribulations. So there's some golden lining to this life 
uh, suffering we have in front. There's comfort there. He comforts us in all of our tribulation so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, that means comfort, so our comfort abounds through Christ. So you see what happens? We go through suffering. We go and we learn perseverance in our suffering. Character is developed through that. Hope comes through that. That hope doesn't disappoint. And then as we're being refined in this furnace of affliction, our best friends, they lose their dad like we lost our dad. Just yesterday, a good friend of mine from the community, his dad had a stroke in Lakeview and was there, you know, lifted to bed. And, uh, and I texted him and encouraged him because 22 years ago, my dad had a stroke in Lakeview, was airlifted to Penn, and this friend of mine drove me over from Corvallis to be with my dad in the midst of his stroke. And now I was able to say, hey, do you remember how you comforted me? And, and the Lord comforted me 22 years ago when I was just a young kid and my dad had a stroke and I didn't know if he was going to die. He ended up dying and you were there with me in the midst of it. Well, now you're on that side of it. And I just want to speak comforting to you. You know, the Lord's comforted me, now it's comforting you. And and then you see how it just goes that way? Then we're able to pour out on people. People who have gone through marriage difficulties. You can say, friend, been there. Let me speak some hope and comfort into your life. People that have lost a child. Nobody knows that pain, but you who've lost children. And you're able to speak to them of how the Lord is there in the midst of the suffering. And so the Lord is working something good in the midst of the pain. On this road marked with suffering, he's working out a ministry for you to others who are going to go through the same thing. What a wonderful economy of God, yes? Like, it's so incredible how he uses what the enemy meant for wickedness. And he turns it and uses for good. Well, moving right along. 2 Corinthians 7, 4. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. What a weirdo, am I right? A golden lining in the midst of suffering, you guys, is that we can be filled up with comfort and be exceedingly joyful in the midst of tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Have you ever been there in your life? Where you just feel like, I can't catch a break. I'm troubled on this side and that side and this side and that side. And later on, he says, we despaired even of life. We didn't even want to live anymore. Have you ever been there? Did you know that the Lord wants to take you from that place of when you were <laughs> surrounded on every side by different trials, that you can still have comfort and be exceedingly joyful? See, joy and happiness are quite different. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy, you can be in prison suffering for the name of Jesus, as Paul was in Philippians, and still have joy everlasting. Moving on. Romans 8, 17. So it, it speaks of that we are made children of the Lord when we become Christian. If children, then heirs. That sounds good, right? An inheritance, right? Joint heirs with Christ. Oh, yes. Children of God, inheritance with the, with the Lord. This sounds incredible. And then there's another if clause here, right? An if caveat. 
where it says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider, and here's a golden light, I literally have it written in gold in my notes. Sufferings, we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So take your, your scales out, okay? Okay? And pile all your sufferings in one side of the scale. Everything you ever experienced in life that you're going through now and that you're going to go through. Oh, man, it's weighty, isn't it? And then Paul says, hey, I consider that the sufferings of this present life, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that the Lord has laid out for us. When I was a kid, I used to do that when I was a high schooler, and I'd be preaching to my high school class about this. And then, and then when you throw the glory of the Lord over here, it just launches the other stuff off the scale. <clears throat> you guys comprehend that? It's just not even worthy to be compared. It's like, go ahead and knock that off the scale, because it's nothing. It ain't no thing. The glory of the Lord is just incredible, and he's prepared that for us. It reminds us of the golden lighting that we will enter the kingdom. We will enter the kingdom, though it's on a road marked with suffering. Philippians 3, 8. Yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish anyways, so that I may gain Christ. Golden lining, you gain Christ in the midst of it. And we're found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here's a golden lining for Paul when he wrote this that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So in the midst of all the suffering and how Paul lost everything he ever had, some would even say he lost his wife when he became a Christian. But he counts it all as rubbish anyways, so that he can gain Jesus and know the resurrection. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 for this you recall, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in his turn, but he suffered and he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. So Jesus is the example for us of suffering. The beautiful thing about this whole study is that our God is not a God, I think it was Alistair Begg who said it, who's sitting up by his heaven pool on a deck chair, sipping lemonade, and has no concept of what suffering is. You know? But our God took the form of man, has dwelt among his own creation. As the book of Hebrews says, suffered in every point he was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. He's able to be a sympathetic high priest for us because he knows what suffering is. He's a God who understands suffering. And in his suffering, Jesus committed, or how does it say? Committed himself to him who judges righteously. It's a golden lining in suffering, you guys. When we suffer, we commit our souls back to the Lord. In First Peter, the last scripture I want to give you today. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. Here's a golden lining of our suffering. Are you ready for it? For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Did you know that when you're going through that suffering, anguish, and the tribulations of this life, all of a sudden you don't got time to, to be a gossip. You know? All, all of a sudden you don't got time to just be floundering away your time in sinful practices. 
you got some like anguish going on and you got to get before the Lord in prayer because this hurts. When you go through suffering, there's a time where you go through purity. It's a purifying process. And you find yourself ceasing from sin. One Puritan said, and I have the quote for you this morning, the winds of tribulation blow away the chaff of error, hypocrisy, and doubt, leaving that which survives the best, true Christian character. Charles Spurgeon said, you look at the weather-beaten sailor, the man who is at home in the sea, he has a bronze face and mahogany-looking skin. He looks as tough as oak. He would not become a hardy sailor by staying on the shore. Now, trials work in God's people that spiritual hardiness which cannot be learned in ease. You may go to school forever, but you cannot learn endurance there. You may color your face with paint, but you cannot give it that ingrained brown which comes of stormy seas and howling winds. Strong faith and perseverance come by trials. To reach that condition of firm endurance and sacred hardiness is worth all of the expense of all the heaped up troubles that ever come upon us from above or from beneath. So we trust the Lord. We're going to have the worship team come back up. We trust the Lord in the midst of suffering. As Job said, even if he slays me, I'll still trust him. Guys, there's an old saying that, you know, either you're coming out of a trial right now, or you're currently in a trial, or you're going to be going into a trial very soon. Every one of us has this reality in our life. The Bible says it, experience confirms it. And so I want to give us a place that as we close down, as we move towards Fireside Fellowship, during this last song, to just afresh hear the exhortation from Paul that says we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. To realize that that's a reality, both with persecution and the afflictions of just living in a fallen world. To realize that that is the lot right now for us. But to also know the golden lining so that he is there with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We can today trust our souls to him as to a faithful creator. We can realize he's even actually doing something good in the midst of the pain. He's working something wonderful in us. And he's created a ministry for us to others to bring comfort in the midst of their pain. That he works holiness in us and causes us to even cease sinning when we're suffering in that refiner's fire. And as we close with this last song today, I just want to have the elders come up. Any of the elders? We have a lot of elders out of town this week. Have the elders come on up and so the elder candidate team Harry's here today. And just going to be up front. Your wife can join you. And we just want to make ourselves available to pray for you. If you're going through a time of trial right now, and just like, I know this is true, this is too hard for me to really comprehend, but I I believe it. Help my unbelief in it. You're in the midst of a trial right now, and you just need 
So the leadership of the church to just pray over you and encourage you in the Lord. Maybe you're coming out of a trial and you just see that that weight is behind you, that God was faithful and you want to be useful to others in the midst of the pain. Or maybe you just see on the forefront, there's something coming down. I'm on my way, it's just coming. We're going into a trial here in our family. We just need prayer that we would have this mindset of hope in the Lord. So, closing with a song, it's called Oceans, and it kind of just reminds us uh, that the Lord is faithful even in the midst of the storms of life. So, elders and their wives, maybe even the deacons can come on up. We'll just be up front here to pray for you during this song. You can come, and we'll just encourage you in the Lord as we close this morning.